wonderful idea for this podcast after the last one we recorded entirely in a single take. Um, Roger, I propose we're going to do this one 30,000 times until we've done it, do it exactly the same until we've practiced it so well that we're going to get it to be the absolute perfect podcast and we'll be masters of our craft. Yeah, but but we never get beyond this point. <laughs> no, we've already had this conversation, Roger. Um, we are, uh, sorry, this is episode 84 of Ribbon of Memes, uh, a podcast where we discuss films previously described by other temporal interlopers as masterpieces. Um, I am Nick, the cowardly executive, um, who has the potential to become a super soldier one day. And I am joined as ever by Roger, the already super soldier, um, uh, but somewhat more jaded and cynical. Oh, sorry. I just call it experienced. <laughs> experience is the name we give to our mistakes as Oscar Wilde would say um, well he wouldn't because he's dead but in other ways it's an apposite quote for 2014's second film we are discussing which is depending I think on what which region you live in um, Edge of Tomorrow or Live Die Repeat which makes me think of hair washing and is probably a less, <laughs> less good name for the film. Um, I don't know if that's a subtitle or an actual name. I, I saw it as a marketing slogan, but it may well have been used as a title. I think it, well, I think Edge of Tomorrow may have been used because there was a TV series. Was that Edge of Tomorrow? Uh, Edge of uh, Ask somebody wrong. who hasn't been without a TV for 20 years. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there was, I might be, it was Edge of, no, that was Edge of Darkness. I'm getting weird stuff. Um, with the, the late lamented Bob Peck. Um, though I think they remade it again. Terrible. Anyway, this is not that. This is another Tom Cruise film. Um, we, we seem to do a surprising number of Tom Cruise films. Um, but this is yet a, we've done like four or five, haven't we? Um, uh, and I, it's interesting that I mentioned that before the director, because it just feels like, he is such a strong presence that it feels like a Tom Cruise film uh, rather than a um, uh, whoever the, <laughs> the director is. Um, <laughs> Doug Lehman. Yeah. Um, certainly, I, I strongly suspect that on, on the financing side, you say we got Tom Cruise attached. All of a sudden, you get money where you didn't get money before. Yeah, I think that's And that's as a, a result point. of that... However, you know, even if even if he's trying to be the the most ego free guy in the world, he's going to have a certain influence because if he's not kept happy, he could go, and then the mon- then the money would go away. And then money would. He's one of those very few stars that, uh, yeah, uh, is also a producer and largely a producer because he basically gets. <laughs> if Tom Cruise is coming along, then he gets a lot more of his way than someone else would. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we we will come back to this because um, this this comes into how how the Tom Cruise effect works. But um, <laughs> yes, I think it's something to just having done. I mean, we've seen him in Magnolia, we've seen him in. Um, we never discussed Vanilla Sky, did we? Which is one of my favourites. Um, we did, uh, but Minority Report, of course. Minority Report as well. Um, has it just been those two? Feels like we've had more. I um, think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this is, um, this is, uh, so Doug Lehman, I said almost nothing about, he's been not on my radar at all. He seems to direct films that I think are kind of okay. 
hitherto. The Bourne films, which everyone seems to absolutely adore, I say they're the greatest. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I, they, they didn't work for me desperately. They just uh, they were to the well. They were very influential in that the way. You know, the new Bond reboot basically became Bourne again, <laughs> so to speak. Um, uh, well, I mean, they, they, they clearly had a lot of um, influence from the Bond films, for that matter. So, yes, exactly. Yeah, um, he, but, also but directed... he also did uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which it, it, it's had quite mixed. I mean, it was Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie when their relationship was news when in they itself. Were, when they were Brangelina, um, but the I, I love the core conceit, which is, you know, here is this boring suburban couple, each of whom has a secret life as an assassin, but the other doesn't know about it, and then they're assigned yes. to kill each other. Right, that's great. Uh, yeah, but by all accounts, the actual film, not so great in developing that, but, you know, good start. And I, uh, similarly, he did Jumper, uh, which does, considering it had the guy who wrote um, Primer, on as, as temporal consultant or whatever it was called, it, uh, it makes zero sense. I, I suppose it does lay out. It does one of the things which I like in science fiction films. It lays out. We may come onto this with Edge of Tomorrow. It lays out the rules of the game and then it follows them. It's just the rules of the game violate pretty much anything I understand about physics, so I, I couldn't really get on board with Jumper. But yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the book by Stephen Gould, but um, I haven't read the book. I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, from fifteen years earlier, so the things it's that it, the things that it found relevant to talk about at the time maybe not so relevant in a film in two thousand eight. And it may, um, well, it may have uh, backed up the the kind of. Logic behind the time travel. Anyway, don't really get too obsessed with it. He's, he's, he's not directed films that I thought were, uh, amazing previously. Um, yeah. Which is why he wasn't on my radar. Uh, here, uh, it's, uh, the, the script is Chris McQuarrie, who was the usual suspect, which I did like. I didn't absolutely adore, but I liked it well enough. Well, there, there, there were several iterations of the, uh, script. Well, so the the conceit for Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, th is... This was very much the studio decided we, we're going to buy these rights, and now who are we going to find to direct it? Who are we going to find to script? This, this, this is not an auteur type film. No, right, where you've got no, a single I... vision saying this is what's going on. Well, this is another uh, another film uh, based on a book, Edge of Tomorrow. What, what's the original book called? Uh, All um... you need is kill. It's a um, light novel series in Japan. Okay, uh, which which um... I haven't read. No, and this film is uh, deviates wildly from that, I gather. Um, but the, the the core conceit is there has been an alien invasion. They are the standard kind of tentacle, vaguely insectoid, terrifying creatures that um, sort of hive mind kind of creatures. Um, we have a kind of a a D-Day landing plan to take back Europe. Um, Europe's been um, subsumed by the alien Marinus, so we have a, a kind of beachhead. They're, they're called ahead. mimics for no reason that I think we ever particularly understood. I, I think that's a hangover from the book, but it doesn't make any sense. They certainly don't do much mimicking other than if what they're trying to mimic is every other alien that we've ever seen in the last 50 years. Hmm. Well, they do a good job of that. Um, but they're fast-moving tentacle creatures. We have a strong kind of... So we have Tom Cruise as a uh, PR guy for the army, basically. He used to be in advertising and he's been drafted um, to be the public face of um there isn't much made of it because he seems to be something of a 
I suppose he isn't a celebrity in that, but he's certainly, you know, front-facing. He's on the news a lot, but no one ever recognises him. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't, maybe he's just, I suppose, I wouldn't recognise that many people who were on uh, News 24 if they came in front of me, so <laughs> I suppose that's fair enough. Um, but during this uh, this beachhead, which... Um, well, for, for, let's about... bear in mind, first of all, he, he he tries to get out of it because as well as an advertising man, he is an arrant coward. Yes, exactly, which I is not a Tom Cruise character I have seen before. Charming, smiley, and fuck off if you think I'm going anywhere near combat. It's, he in a, in he a does very seem smiling... to be going out of his way to make himself unsympathetic to the audience. And the, this is the thing I always feel when I'm watching a Tom Cruise film is that... Yes. Everybody except me sees the smile and thinks, yeah, I like this guy, I trust this guy, I want to just succeed, <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> well, I suppose... He, and he's th- there isn't anything else, there isn't anything else to get my sympathy with him. He, he's just this this person who used to do a vile job, might do something vaguely useful in military PR now, and is a coward. Yes, I, I agree. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I, uh, I in, in, in the light novel, this... uh, the guy's just a recruit. Yes, there's none of this um, uh, advertising stuff. But he is suitably slimy. I can't help... Uh, The surprise is really, oh, this is Tom Cruise, but he's a coward. Um, So it's all... One of the problems with this film, I don't want to be too harsh on it, because I I, I did very much enjoy it, but it is all through the filter of Tom Cruise. This would have been a very different film with, for instance, Bill Murray as the advertising exec, or Steve Buscemi, I think mm-hmm. he would have um, someone who can do charming, um, but is clearly not a, a warrior. Um, maybe that would have been more interesting character journey. Uh, anyway, it is Tom Cruise, and I feel that does put a gravitational pull to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's, a, he's an Aaron Cowdy, he tries to, does he try and bribe the colonel at the beginning? Uh, blackmail. Um, blackmail him, um, and ends up consequently, um, in with the grunts um, on the front line, basically a sacrificial lamb. He, he annoys the, the. Is it a colonel? You would know the ranks better than uh, I would. General, but yeah. Uh, general, but Brendan Gleeson, um, who we have also. Last uh, last we saw him, he was in uh, 28 Days Later. Um, doesn't get much to do here other than bluster and be a, a kind of a, a general guy. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't particularly come over as having a military manner, which is, well, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to this. There are films where somebody involved in the script knew somebody who, who had knew, known somebody who knew a soldier once. <laughs> and then there are other films, and this is one of the other films. Okay. Yeah, they, okay. They, they, I mean, wherever it tries to interface with military stuff, it's using military film cliche at best. This isn't Das Boot, is it? Um... No, it's, it's, it, it, it's, well, I'll, I'll come back to the two films that is, because that, that would give away pots the plot we haven't even got to yet. Uh, yes, okay. Well, so we have a... Uh, the plot contrived, and this goes back to your previous point, to have a kind of D-Dale-style landing on the beach. A very... I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it, it's a self-conscious nod to Saving Private Ryan, this opening beachhead, where yeah. everyone gets slaughtered. Um, basically the whole army gets slaughtered. We never find out quite what happens after that because our recruit, our Tom Cruise, um, character, I'm just calling him Tom Cruise the whole time, um, William Cage, I should mm-hmm. say, a much more memorable name, <laughs> um, uh, also gets slaughtered, but he gets slaughtered by killing one of the imaginatively named alpha mimics, um, which squirts its, um, 
tachyons you saw all over him or whatever it's called. <laughs> you, you make um, it sound such fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we've all had nights like that. Um, which does something to him. Now, I will try and gloss over the conceits. I just, we're, we're, uh, gonna, we're gonna be going into it. We will, but, but, uh, but he wakes up where he was. He wakes up Groundhog Day style, and I think Groundhog Day was such a successful film at establishing time loops and repeating a day that it's just easier to say Groundhog Day style. That, then we find ourselves in that sort of film that basically he, um, he's repeating that day again and again and again, and every time he dies, which he does a lot, the day resets. Many more times than we actually see, that's, that's made quite clear. Yes, yeah. Um, but we, we go through the initial confusion and surprising, um, amount of comedy, I think. I quite enjoy it. So w- one of the best things that happens in the film is that Bill Paxton turns up fairly shortly <laughs> afterwards. I, and, I, uh, I had not looked at the credits. I didn't know he was in this. I thought that guy looks for bloody yeah. hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, I, he's, he, Bill Paxton uh, livens up any movie. I mean, he's a very yeah. different character to Hudson, um, our favorite Bill Paxton, yeah, but he, he's, I, I thought here he had, he had a kind of Terry Thomas thing going. <laughs> he, yeah. He's uh, yes, I think that's it. he's got a kind of wry. I mean, he's he's not much more than your typical sergeant major um, who, know, who has uh, seen it all before and is not impressed by your bullshit. Yeah, but it's Bill Paxton and it's well done, and I'm never going to complain about Bill Paxton being there. Yeah. Um, and so as he's discovering, uh, I mean, so he, he basically lands again and gets killed. I can't remember what happens because then, then basically we get the bulk of the film, which is live, die, repeat. And as a lot of these films do, and there are a surprising number of films about time loops. Um, uh, uh, well, surprising to me, considering <laughs> Groundhog Day seemed to say almost everything about time loops that you might want to say, but there have been, there've been other ones. I haven't seen a, a military based one. I think mm. there is a TV show now similar to it, but we get the comedy thing. Like he times it perfectly and rolls out of the way so he can escape the thing, gets run over by a van. And then we get briefly by a, a Humvee or something. And then we mm. briefly get the, the shot of Bill Paxton's disgusted, confused faces. Tom Cruise gets <laughs> turned into strawberry jam underneath it. Lots of comedy deaths like that. And they're always fun to groundhog day does a lot of comedy deaths as well. Um, other films I've watched like um, Palm Springs, which is also, a um, very good and strongly recommended time loop comedy. We get a lot of comedy element for the fact that you can actually do kind of guilt-free, funny deaths, mm. <laughs> which these films seem to revel in. Um, yeah, I, I did feel, and it, it was so consciously echoing Groundhog Day that I, f- I found myself drawing comparisons with it. And yes, the feeling I got, I mean, partly obviously because we. We know, even if we haven't seen it, because we might be callow modern audience, but we, yeah, the, the story is familiar. So I think there's less establishing that, but I, I also felt there was less trying to work out what's going on and more, I am awesome now. But, uh, yeah. It cuts out, yes, it, it does use Groundhog Day. I, I mean, the, we've mentioned, um, GD a lot, um, because it casts a long shadow over these films. It's such a shorthand that you, you know the rules pretty quickly, and so you can work out, oh, okay, this is how he knows everyone in the room instantly, and this is how he can charm his way through any situation, mm. um, and this is how um, he well, becomes... This is where he gets kind of creepy. <laughs> well, yes. This is the... 
All right, I was sensitised to this by Russell T. Davis's run on Doctor Who, but the idea that there is this woman you fancy and you know all about her and she doesn't know you at all, and this is in some way meant to be a good thing, as opposed to something that would kill any possible relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yes, I suppose my counter-argument is it's not just that he knows everything about her, he knows... Uh, and again, this is explored in Groundhog Day, uh, probably in more depth than here, but he knows every response to every line he will ever give her. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone he's ever tried. So he can kind of iterate on the ones that are successful and more successful and end up, um, in her pants, basically. That's not the point of this film. It is largely the point of Groundhog Day, I must say, which is <laughs> disturbing in itself. Well, that, um, how, how would you know you're a good person if, if, if you don't get the hot babe? Really, exactly, I mean. exactly. Um, but we're not here to uh, discuss Groundhog Day. Uh, but but anyway, I mean, the, the the key thing here is she, while, while she is not personally resetting, she has experienced the resetting and therefore is a bit more ready to believe him. And she does, in her defence, she does, or in Tom Cruise's defence, or William Cage's defence, she points him to her past self and says... You've got to go and make friends with me, basically. Yeah. Find me tomorrow. Because um, she is known as the, basically the one soldier who ever had any luck beating the aliens. And yes, the reason she's had that is because she's been through exactly the same kind of learning journey um, that, uh, that William is. It is creepy. I do feel uh, he isn't trying to get off with her desperately. He's trying to win the war or find out a way out of this situation. Or, or at least survive in some way other than the same 24 hours of hell again and again. Yes, because uh, we never get off the beach, whatever we do, we don't. But they plan it, they choreograph it perfectly to the point where they can get off the beach. And it's very helpful. It's it's nice to have this ally that you can talk it through with. It, it also gets a bit creepy in that he is not entirely truthful with future versions of her in that he won't say, look, we've lived this moment 30,000 times as well or whatever. He will let her believe this is a fresh time. Um, hmm. Is that creepy? It's certainly bordering on it in some ways, but if he uses that to his advantage. The time it only really borders into really creepy is at the right at the end, basically the last scene of the film, the last moment of the film where he walks up to her and then gives a kind of a, a cheesy, creepy grin. Yeah, what's and, the, what is he going to do five seconds later? Is he just going to walk away or is he going to do the whole seduction thing? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I don't think we know about enough about the character to say, which is kind of a problem in itself. Well, that's a, so we start with an interesting character with Tom Cruise. Uh, so yeah, uh, we have Emily Blunt, who I have only previously seen in The Girl on the Train, which I hated. So I didn't have a tremendously good impression of well, uh, Emily Blunt. I, I've seen her in two other things. One of which um, came out, um, see, yeah, a few years before this, The Adjustment Bureau. Okay, yeah. Uh, is, is that Tom Cruise as well? Uh, no, Matt Damon. Uh, but it's based on a okay. Dick story, so, you know, good start. Yeah, okay, I'm never going to complain about that. Uh, I, uh... Also, the the other thing I've, I've seen her in um, would come out a few years later, in fact, since we started doing this podcast, uh, which is Jungle Cruise. I haven't seen that, but you have said very good things about it, and certainly The For... Rock is a man who is no um, has no shortage of charisma himself on screen. And yeah, she she is not outshone by him. Um, yeah, it, it really is a partnership film. I did so. And a very yeah. good one, much to my surprise. 
Uh, yeah, it's a bit like um, Pirates of the Caribbean, by the sounds of it. Isn't it? M- much they, the same. They, they, they've on. been banging on about this. We must make films of our, of all our famous rides for years. Yeah. And they did the Haunted Mansion, and that was a complete flop. <laughs> um, uh, but this one worked. Um, I mean, the film. The first the film, Pirates worked. Not quite the same thing, but the film of battleships didn't go so well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, anyway. that was Hasbro saying, "We got these licenses. Come give us money." Uh, Widger. I'm sure is that would happen with the Dungeons and Dragons. What was the series? Widger. Because uh-huh. Hasbro owns the Widger board. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was never, it was always a board game, wasn't it? It was never a spiritualist thing, particularly. Though it may have been iterated on, I'm saying that a lot, um, from previous spiritualists. Anyway, that's by the by. I we, think Emily digress. Blunt is very good here. Yes. Um, I, I, I was a bit disappointed with her character arc, though. I mean, she starts well, off as the badass. Yeah. And she gradually transitions to emotional support for the big strong man. I think that's... Uh, I also feel I don't have the strongest charisma on screen to me. I, I didn't really believe them as a... A couple, desperately. I, I never they, do when it's Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, my problem... So, I agree. Her character arc is... She starts off as, yeah, the super soldier and then becomes a support staff to the new super soldier. And we transition from... I complained about super ultra-competent Tom in Minority Report. He's just good at everything he does. Um, uh, he's got this focus and intensity that I, I find vaguely off-putting. And I don't know why. I just hmm. feel like maybe I don't know. Unfairly, perhaps I feel like that's that's what Tom Cruise is actually like. That's his approach to acting. That's perhaps unfair. But what we get with William Cage is a transition from this cowardly, uh, superficial PR guy into ultra competent Tom that I've seen before a number of times on screen. Hmm. And so he become he became less interesting to me as time went on, and so did. Um, uh, the angel of, uh, what was she called? The angel of, uh, um, Verdun. Verdun. Um, she became less interesting as well. So we have a sort of, I, I was re- I mean, this is a very watchable film and I was really enjoying it and enjoying the, um, uh, the playing with the, what you would have to do in that. Never mind how you got into that situation, but if you're in that situation, the frustration that like, it doesn't matter how many times we do this, it doesn't work. We've got to try a different approach. Um, but the overall character arc of both of them was dull. Mm. And the characters themselves ultimately were not that interesting either where they ended up. That's how I felt. And I didn't feel like they had a lot of chemistry. That, that may be a subjective thing. Yeah. My, my name is point. That's viewpoint. <laughs> yeah, yes, um, yeah. It, I, I, will, I will admit it did remind me a bit of the Lego movie, which most people other than me uh, didn't feel this way about it. Um, but they, they, they made it even more obvious in the second film. Um, the woman did all the hard work and achieved everything and the guy got all the credit. Yes, <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> I think they even play on that in the, um, in the second film much more. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I, so, we have this, uh, we have this kind of fun bit where they're working together, they're choreographing their way off. Then the film just kind of, to me, slowly loses momentum. 
I th- I thought there was a there was a very big flag raised saying this is now the third act, and yeah. now this time it matters, which which is for double talk reasons. Ah, oh, Tom loses loses the the time travel reset power. Well, so I I suppose for me it's a bit before they get off the beach, and then we have this. I don't know if this is supposed to be their characters, you know, growing together. You know, we have the moments of quietness in the barn, and you always die here. And oh, I've tried to save you tons of times. Please don't get on the chopper or whatever it is. Um, uh, but it's not really character developed because at least one of the characters in that double act it literally cannot develop because they, mm. they are. She she's the same person the next day. Um, and so I found it dwelled on that a bit too much. And then we have the whole bits where he gets to the dam. I mean, what I liked about the film is. You know, we have this thing where, oh, you start to dream where the Alpha is. Is it the Alpha? The Omega. Of course it's the Omega. You start to dream where the Omega is, and then you'll find... And I thought, why why the fuck would that happen? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense in that it's a trap. Um, which but but like. also, if you knew that you were going to be... You know, particularly after the first time, hmm. if you knew that you were going to be going to be going into a dark place... Would you maybe bring a torch? That's flashlight for our American <laughs> viewers, uh, rather rather than just flares. I realise they're less atmospheric, but <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but I yes, I agree. And that whole bit, uh, it wasn't entirely clear uh, quite what happened at the end. Uh, at the end of that, it does explain it later. Um, that the they the, were the to... thing for me though was. At the same time, particularly that barn scene, I mean, what, what we've had so far is meant to be realistically gritty, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you get hit by a thing and you're, and, uh, you are seriously injured. Yeah. And yet here, here we have, uh, somebody is being rammed through a brick wall by a car. Yes, it's an old brick wall in a barn, but it's still a brick yeah. wall. And he just casually gets up and that's fine, you know? Yeah, he's still the same. Meat and that, that, that that's was. the sort of fast and furious level of human body resilience that, yeah. Well, then the, the film just so, so I felt like it really sagged in that bit for for me, and then we go off in another direction where he he convinces the general uh, they've got to do, it. and then yes, from the I've lost the power, I can feel it. Then we're into the third act. I absolutely mm. agree. That's like okay. Now right. this is where we put together everything we've learned. I and so so we've was, turned down the Groundhog Day dial and we've turned the Aliens dial way up. Yeah, it just felt to me, from then but we, on. We, we we have seen Aliens. Exactly. So we lost we lost the core conceit of the film, which was he cannot die. Um, and now we're in the position that we've seen a hundred times before. He's got a, a suicide mission, a do or die mission with a group of people. He's very good because he spent the whole film being very good. Um, and it's it doesn't really bring anything else to the table, but it spends a long time doing that last bit. Like, we have moments between the squad characters, as if we've been following them the whole film. But honestly, we haven't. We, don't, we know very little about them. We haven't seen them in action. We don't give a huge amount of shits about them. And so when they do their heroic sacrifices, I'm not that moved in a way that I would have been in a different film. And mostly um, I find myself thinking, oh yeah, that, that's uh, Vasquez and Gorman's death from aliens. Exactly, it's exactly, let's now do the big explody thing. Um, uh, yeah, take the squad with you. But I don't know why, because they don't really do a huge amount, the squad, other than cannon fodder. Um, yeah, well that's the thing. I, I was expecting 
um, one one of the, one of the lessons he had learned to be: you don't just have to keep yourself alive; you have to keep them all alive. But, yes, but that it wasn't. <laughs> so, no, it wasn't. They just all got killed pretty quickly. I, I will give the director credit for resisting one obvious easy thing. They didn't do the uh, when we've got the plane um, rolling along the ground because it's been too shot up to fly, but it's still got some engines left. He yeah. resisted the urge to do a, a, a choppy rotor through through the aliens. <laughs> yes, okay. maybe it was just so dark I didn't see it, but I don't think that was happening. Um, I've also not seen uh, many um, action sci-fi films end in the in the Louvre. Um, before, <laughs> so that was that was something or underneath it at least. Um, but I, a film that I had been quite engaged with. I think the problem is once it removes that core conceit of this is Groundhog Day, but with aliens and fighting. Once it takes that away, you're left with the characters and the rest of the plot, which isn't that. Grey is pretty sub B movie stuff and pretty boring characters, mm. and so I was almost immediately uninterested. <laughs> as soon as he said, "I've lost it," I was surprised how quickly my interest in the whole film went. Oh, okay, so now we're just doing that. And then the more, yeah, the more they turned up the aliens dial, the more it wasn't aliens. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's how I felt. And. Um... Yeah, it, it was, I don't know, it, it seems to me to be trying to say, here, here is military excitement, but you haven't seen Aliens, so you won't be comparing it, whereas, I mean, I have, I, I don't know, I mean, it, it's, goodness, nearly 30 years after Aliens. Well, even if I hadn't seen Aliens, yeah. I would have seen quite a lot of films that ended with this kind of explosion. Every second film in the late 80s ripped off Aliens. <laughs> exactly. So, so uh, I don't know. I, it just felt... And if that had been quick, maybe, but it seemed to be a long... I don't How long was the film? It, it dragged to me from for this end bit and for a good sort of 10 or 15 minutes yeah 113 total so oh, so it's not it's, it's under two hours uh, but only just uh, but only just but it does drag for the last third um, and then it also does the the thing that I find irritating of it's very dark and there's a lot of shooting and guns and explosion mm -hmm. I honestly don't know what's going on so I'm just thinking can we just get to the end of this bit, please? Because I'm not enjoying it. They don't look like they're enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have the option of um, fiddling with brightness and contrast that I could work out what was going on, presumably in, in a cinema that was well-adjusted. It would be easier to see that than on a laptop screen, but even so... It's very rare to be well-adjusted in a cinema, I must say. Um, yeah, Actually, but... just a bit, more, a bit more generally, though, I mean, to start with, we have the whole lots of different camera angles... Very short shots, which yeah. we, we, we've seen before in films we've watched for this, of the confusion of combat. Yeah. And yeah, that's okay. But two things. A, it carries on even when he is a combat god. Yes. Yes. And B, there is an awful lot of this action with the short shots and the quick cuts from different angles and you can't really see what's going on. I actually think this would have justified bullet time. I know it got wildly overused after the, after the Matrix. Yeah, but the, the idea of how he's... I I know this I know this so well that I can cope with it. It would be a nice yeah, way of showing. I'm no that. longer. Yeah, that would be an I. Uh, yeah, I mean, different 
of the films we've watched have coped with it, but like Platoon, it's quite understandable because it's a film kind of about the confusion of combat. Um, and I think that's maybe where we first encountered it. Other films, um, like Children of Men, show your characters can be confused, but the viewer doesn't have to be necessarily. Um, and I, I prefer that. Now, I, 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 we've said a number of times before, what I want in an action scene is what are the stakes going in? What's happening? Mm. <laughs> uh, that's that's basically what I want to know. And and I kind of, I don't always understand. I don't mean of the overall thing, of each individual scene. Uh, you know, the one that got this really right for both of us, I think, was, um, uh, was it Strange Days, I think, was very good at having... Uh, and to uh, some extent, 28 Days Later. And 28 Days Later, I... Well, I uh, 28 Days Later, I found a bit more of the confusing kind of... Uh, I don't know, I'm just going to wait till this is over mm. and then see who's still alive at the end of but, it. Yeah, um, particularly, particularly the uh, hotel room fight at the end of Strange Days. Yes, particularly there. And on also, I'm thinking of the, like, the underground car park as well. Mm. Just, uh, we have someone using the environment in a meaningful way. We understand what's happening. And I, I just, I, I haven't got interest in in uh you know aliens you know we talked about aliens that's a good example of you're never entirely confused about what's going on you know, even when we have the marines when they get you know ambushed right at the beginning uh, yeah. not the, it, it, we have them you know we have a step back of ripley and gorman watching what's happening um and ripley very quickly absorbing what's happening and taking control in a way that gorman does it just it's really well done that you, you can see they're confused but Anyway, I don't mm. want to go on. Well, yeah, we ne- I very much agreed. Uh, we just don't have that here, and I'm just waiting for... And I kind of uh, also sort of knew where it was going to go, that he probably would get some more blood on him, and it would happen again or something. But then, the, the end of the film, so he, he kills the Omega with a bag full of grenades, and drowns doing it, but then gets splattered with more blood... Well, let, let's uh, face it, uh, pressure waves travel really effectively underwater, so <laughs> I, I will readily believe that he would die of that. <laughs> yeah, and he does, but then he wakes up... Uh, even earlier than before. Even earlier than before, and I think it does make sense, because he is actually the day before, by the time he dies this time, because he's moving much sooner than he would have done. They, they don't, they're not waiting for the landing and the, the attack... And going on uh, from there, I think they are several hours earlier and probably are technically in the previous day. Mm. So I think the fact that he wakes up at the beginning of the previous day does check out. In, in Why, effect, at the beginning of the film. At the beginning of the film. Um, but then there's some hand wavium that the Omega thing... Uh, why it works at all is less clear, because the Omega thing is dead. Um uh, and so how did it manage to reset the day when it died? And if it did do that and could did have the power to reset the day when it died, why isn't it still there? Because it's not that it's managed to wipe its entire army from existence, as far as we can tell. Yeah, ba- basically, why should it, A, why should it give up at all? Mm. Uh, but then B, why should it give up retroactively? Yeah, it, it, the, it, it's a bit frayed around it. I rationalise... I mean, the, these aren't supposed to be intelligent aliens that have decided to surrender. These are supposed to be essentially unthinking monsters. So, As, as far as we can tell, yeah. But then they have this incredible advert. But then if they're unthinking monsters, what is the... They don't 
you get the impression they can't really learn from the experience that this incredible power they have gives them. Mm. Uh, otherwise, they would have just won, and no one would have known anything about it, really. So it gives the humans a huge advantage, but not really a great advantage to the aliens. Uh, it's hard to imagine how that thing works. And also, if you reset the day, he hasn't got the blood on him anymore, or has he still... Again, the way I start to think about it, where is... I mean, it could be some mystical thing that isn't anything to do with his own bloodstream. Well, I, I, that... I think the earlier loops, um, several of those, he has not got any additional blood during the during the the t- period from waking up to dying, such as yes. the ones where he's killed in training. Exactly. So, uh, if does that mean his body persists? In which case, why is he still alive? Um, or is it nothing to do with the blood? In which case, why does a blood transfusion fix it or whatever? Anyway, I won't worry too much about that. But the way I rationalise it, the it's ending, one of those don't don't press too hard on this because it's going to crumble. Yes, exactly. Which, and it, it, I mean, it's an acceptable thing to do in a film, but it's always a bit of a shame when they do. To my, for my mind, I sort of again going back to Groundhog Day. I sort of preferred the. It's never explained. I mean, it's kind of a probably quasi. Or it, it's a fairy tale, it's a fantasy. Thing. Yeah, exactly, and and so I, I accept it a bit more, but here it's trying to be a bit more science fiction about it, and I... Uh, I mean, as you say, there's a lot about the military stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense either. Well, so. the, the thing that really got to me, and this is this is kind of Roger's fantasy aviation corner, because we, <laughs> we, we see quite a lot of these dropships. Yes. And I just can't work out what their actual intended tactical role is meant to be. As opposed to what? Uh, so, I mean, I mean, we o- we only see them when the things ground. are screwing up. Well, But I can't see get... how, what, how it's meant to go when they're not screwing up. Because... Isn't this a, a ship's... Ideally, you know, this is a thing that can fly over enemy lines and drop you behind it. So why do you drop them right on the beach? I don't quite understand that, really. Yeah, and... If you, if you're, uh, the, uh, the idea is you're going to be fast roping these guys down. Yeah. Which means you have to hover in that combat zone where everybody and his dog can shoot at you. A parachute. And I, either parachutes or simply land and unload, which is way easier. Yeah. Unless it was so dangerous to unload, but then if it's that dangerous to unload, how can you hover stationary in the air above this? Yeah, that, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Th- this is this is what I mean. I, it looks good, and it's obviously yeah. there because it looks good. It, it, produ- it has some lovely they opportunities. Had a ship in Alien, but then they did land there. It yeah, there, there are some lovely opportunities to do some great visual effects, which are done. Yeah. But nobody was there, presumably, who thought, "Hang on a minute, I have a rudimentary tactical sense here. What what is this for?" Why did they build it this way? No, they built it this way because it, cause it's pretty. Because it looks cool. I mean, it made that we never really understand almost anything about the aliens or their tactics or are the ones that can fly? I think there are. And can they shoot upwards? Do they use... We never really... Uh, they seem to be just unthinking monsters, as you say. But presumably the way they're fighting them, there must be some tactical sense to them. Unless their whole advantage is that they could just redo the day again and again and again. Well, there, there certainly seems to be central coordination. I, I think that's what the yeah. alphas are meant to be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, 
you you guys you guys go do a head-on attack to distract them while the other guys burrow underground at yeah, un- unfeasible yeah. speeds and come up underneath them that kind of thing because yeah, that's yeah <laughs> uh anyway it is a film that doesn't hold up to a great deal of close scrutiny and uh, i think I, I was enjoying it very much, and I was surprised how much I stopped enjoying it when we lost the power, I think. Mm, I mean, that that was the thing that made the film a bit distinctive. Mm. And the call it the last act. Mm. I mean, it's not done badly, but we've seen this, no. we've seen it done better before. Seen it before, and it's, yes, it's not terrible. It's not particularly memorable. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, there's not much to say about the characters particularly. I mean, Bill Paxton's great. Um, he's not got much to do in it. Tom Cruise, I, again, as, as I say, Tom Cruise just becomes hyper competent Tom and I lose pretty much interest in him then. Mm. And then Emily Blunt is a sidekick by the end of it. Yeah. And I couldn't help but be reminded of um, the Mummy remake, which came out uh, three years after this, 2017. Oh, the Tom Mummy remake. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Because um, in that in particular, this is, this is another of those cases where the director is this guy, Alex Kurtzman in this, in this case. Yes. Who's, you know, people have vaguely heard of him, but he's not a big name, and Tom is the big name. And, and by many accounts, Tom basically took over the filming, uh, yeah. rewrote large chunks of it to make himself look better and so on, and give himself a bigger part. Now, is that a good film, Roger? Well, there are people who like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm You're not, not one, one of, of those people. Okay. And, and it was, it was such a box office disaster that it killed the entire dark universe film series really that's the, a shame because you know the the mummy the other mummy remake with brendan fraser i know the sequels were awful but that was actually a genuinely very good film very yeah the, the film. um what was i think the first one was the dracula was it dracula untold something like that oh they did vaguely yeah i'd forgotten they'd that even that, that was supposed this. to be the first of the series of we we Milk still own these things. Monsters. We're we're going to dust them off and squeeze even more money out of them, and that was a bit of a flop. So that so the mummy was retroactively declared to be the first in the series, and that was so terrible that that it then killed off. Uh, I, th- I think I think they did eventually release the Invisible Man, but and there's a bit of the branding left on it, but most but mostly that was because it was mostly done already, and the rest of the series they just destroyed completely. Oh my goodness. Oh, was that The Invisible Man with Kevin Bacon, that one? Yeah. Um, oh, I, I don't know anything. I, I've vaguely but, but been the, interested in the, it. The particular thing about it is that in in some ways like this, uh, Tom Cruise's character there is a really horrible person. And in, in The Mummy, most of the things that go wrong and all, all the deaths yeah. are because he, he was greedy at the wrong time and, and let out the thing. <laughs> But in that film, presumably, doesn't grow to be a nicer person. Well, I, th- I think it's just assumed that he's Tom Cruise. He must be a nice guy. <laughs> okay. There's no sense of "oh dear, I done screwed up" or anything like that. So, uh, well, at least this film, I, 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 yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's uh, suffice it to say, that. we'll probably not be doing the Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. Well, Edge of Tomorrow. Then, I, I guess, have you anything more to say about it? <sighs> it's. It's put together from bits, and many of those bits are good bits. Yeah. But they're never really glued together right. And it, 
the Groundhog Day meets Aliens is is not a bad conceit. I I, no. I haven't I say I haven't read the light novel. I, I may well see if I can find it in translation. But um, Groundhog Day meets Aliens meets a Tom Cruise film. I think maybe one element too many. Oh, uh, yeah. I, it was only discussing it then. I just if this had been another actor, a character actor, and watching them turn into a Sorry, Tom Cruise is an extremely good actor. I just he doesn't act very often. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's what I see. Um, the, the the film ends up being about his character, which sometimes that's the right thing for the film. Yeah, but here he hasn't got much for character, so it's a, um, overall. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It outstayed its welcome towards the end, um, and I don't think it's a masterpiece, frankly. That, that yeah. would be my summary of it. it. It had its moments, but by the end of it, I was not thinking, yeah, I, I, I would like to add this to my collection. It, it's a great film. No, it, it, it has its moments rather than anything more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there is a shot where uh, Cage is riding a motorcycle, and my, my first thought was, did Tom put that in the contract that he has to ride a motorcycle in every film? <laughs> wow. Well, um I was about to counter with one where he doesn't, and I was going to be interviewing the vampire, except I remembered at the end he rides a motorcycle, so. <laughs> <laughs> I will shut up. Okay, uh, never mind. Um, oh, uh, maybe it, it's a fast car. Anyway. It might well have been interesting to, to see how this could have been. I mean, with, with a different actor, I think we have to assume there would have been less budget to it as well. It wouldn't have been the same film, but then less be, budget being fair, yeah, um, the effects are pretty good, apart from the general oh, yeah. confusion that we've talked about. Uh, yes. I, I quite like, uh, they're not practical, but I do like the um, battle harnesses Yes, that they're using. Yeah, it's a very, well, I mean, it's very polished and very well done for, you know, it's a I mean, polished, You would polished. never have an audio alert that says reload, because then your enemy knows that you've just run out of ammunition, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's an incredibly good point. You're trying to bluff. That would have made Dirty Harry a bit. <laughs> <laughs> if he's Magnum saying reload, reload. Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, well, I think that's all we have to say about Edge of Tomorrow. It's uh, better than average. Um, yeah. Um, 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 again, a bit of a disappointment, but we're getting to the point, I think, both of us, that we, if people rave about a thing, we, we don't necessarily expect it to be amazing. So. No, I think I probably enjoyed it more than District Nine, which feels similar. Um, but I enjoyed District Nine too. Yeah, I mean, anyway, it, it, uh, there there is a certain feeling of District Nine with a bigger budget. It's got a lot of the same influences, I think. It does. It has. It feels similar, doesn't it? All right, shall we do 2014 in film? Yeah. So at the Academy Awards, um, the the joint joint top. I, Depending on how, how you do the scoring, and I'm, I'm still working on a system for that. But uh, Birdman gets uh, four, of which three are among the eight majors. So it's best picture, best director, and original screenplay. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, and right. uh, it gets cinematography as well, which I think is fair. It is the thing that <laughs> is doing. Yeah, yeah, it is doing something quite impressive with cinematography. Distracting, but uh, yes, very, very <laughs> well done. But didn't serve the story for me. Uh, so, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Now, I, li- I normally do not like Wes Anderson, but I do quite like Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, Ralph Fiennes, good start. Yes, exactly. He's very good in it as well. One of my favourite of his performances. Uh, that that gets four, but none of them are majors. All right. Uh, Whiplash gets three, including supporting actor. 
no idea what that's about. That's uh, it's the drumming one. Oh, so, that's supposed to be quite good, actually. So J.K. Simmons takes the uh, supporting yeah. actor in that uh, oh, yeah, as okay. the complete bastard. Yes, I would like to watch that, because J.K. Simmons, I imagine, would be very good at being a complete bastard. Um, so yeah, uh, like other it. major awards, uh, Theory of Everything and The Imitation Game, and I will admit oh, that yeah. I'm generally very... I, I'm, I'm put on edge by... Hollywood doing films about intellectuals because they understand intellectuals even less than they understand normal people. Yeah, and then cramming it into it, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend um, either of them. I've seen both of them, and they are Hollywood biopics. Um, extraordinary people that don't deserve to be crammed into those holes. Anyway. Best actress goes to uh, favourite of this show, I think, Julianne Moore, uh, oh, still yeah. Alice, so uh, linguistics professor with Alzheimer's. Not not, not a that. cheerful piece, but, you know. No, no. By no, all accounts, no. a very good performance. Uh, I've never seen a give a bad one, so I'm not going to complain. And um, supporting actress went to Patricia Arquette in uh, Boyhood. Ooh. Which is um, Linklater's next. After the... the fil- film from 2002 to 2013. Oh, I might be interested, but not right now. <laughs> it'll give it a bit, of, <laughs> bit longer between now and the, the before trilogy, I think. Yeah. Um, so th- th- those are the um, Academy Awards. Uh, at the box office, number 10, Interstellar. Which, oh, now we did think about that we, for this film, but I have seen it. Yeah, definitely one we thought about. I will probably watch it at some point. We, we, we may, I suppose, come back to it. Yeah, I'd be I, interested in your thoughts of it, even if we don't do it for this. Um uh, I'll say no more. I, I, I don't have a high Nolan tolerance, but yeah. Uh, it, it is quite Nolan, I will tell you that. <laughs> so, uh, number nine, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think this is the second modern series, but I lose track. I've, I think this is the one that killed off the second French. The first one was Sam Raimi, then there was, which was just Spider-Man. Then we had The Amazing Spider-Man, and now we're on to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man. And then they've all come into that now because they're doing multiverse, which is mm. fine. But once you start doing multiverses, you start to think, well, what is the point of anything? And then it becomes a dangerous territory. Yeah, they've already had a short story about that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's see. Uh, number eight, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is the second of the modern Planet of the Apes films. They're quite good, actually. I've like just it. never found it terribly interesting. Maybe I'm missing something. What, the whole Planet of the Apes thing? Yeah. Yeah, I like Planet of the Apes, the original, but uh, it's far less interesting if you know the ending and everyone knows the ending. Um, uh, but <laughs> when Future was watch... parodied, it's fair to say everybody knows it. <laughs> um, it's fun to watch Charlton Heston eat some scenery. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Always, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the new ones are, I think they bring new things to the table. They don't have the time travel or whatever it is. Well, anyway, uh, they they are interesting and well done. I, I think they're worth it. Did, did like you know Soylent Green only got made because Harry Harrison convinced the director that he would be shooting a cannibalism exploitation film, and the director <laughs> then sold it to the money people? Oh, God. Oh, well, at least it got made. <laughs> anyway, uh, number seven, uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier. So that's two. Or, that's the second Captain America film, I think. Uh, yes. Yes, the one before. Then there was a civil war after that. Uh, yes, I don't think I've seen that one. 
Um, but I, I know the plot anyway, so. This, this I think was the point at which I was feeling, okay, I've just lost track. I'll catch up when I'm in the mood for superhero films. And it's now nearly 10 years later and I haven't <laughs> been yet. So. Um, by, I think by any measure, it is one of the better ones. They're all quite good anyway. But. Well, I... now, now I'm playing Sentinels in the Multiverse and I can, I can think of it in those terms. So. Yeah, you've got your own, <laughs> you've got your own little, yeah. Uh, so um, number six, X-Men Days of Future Past, which is, that is Brian Singer. It is. It's not very good as I, it's the one with Vinnie Jones in as Juggernaut, I think, maybe. Oh no, no, wait, that is the, there's one after that that is Aftermath or Apocalypse or End of the something or other. Days of Future Past is quite good. As uh, I recall. So number five, The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part One. So uh. I think, is is this the last of the We Will Split Up the Last Film in the trilogy? It's the last one I noticed anyway. Because uh, The Hobbit's gone, the um Harry Potter's done by now, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it might be the last one. Yeah, maybe maybe they realise people really <laughs> I, I've actually watched part one and never got round to watching part two, so when you're being that blatant about, we really want your money, please, I think people, even people who aren't us, start to think, hang on. Actually, The Hobbit hasn't quite done yet, because, uh, yeah. Uh, and number four, Maleficent. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that, actually. It's all right, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not, not the greatest fan of Angelina Jolie when she's not doing action roles, but, yeah. She's, uh, yeah... Yeah, yeah, it's not terrible. Non-terrible. <laughs> uh, number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I quite like that, actually. It's much better than any of the new Star Wars films. <laughs> um, yeah. Again, these are non-depressing. I, I, th- I thought I'd be quite depressed when we got to these. Yeah. And everyone's moans about the box offices currently, and they're all full with superhero films, which they are. I mean, how many of these are superhero films so far? Eight? Six or seven? Four, technically. Four, technically. Okay. Um, I mean, not counting uh, the Hunger Games, though. Obviously, it has a lot of storytelling in common. For example, it's it's not the doldrums of the early nineties for me. Yeah. Uh, so number two, The Hobbit: Battle of the Five Armies. Which is the but last of the Hobbit films? It is. It was only three. At least they didn't say we'll split it up into two. But as they split the whole book up into three, it doesn't really... And it's, it's, it's not a long book. <laughs> you can literally, or I, I can, and I'm not a massively fan, I can literally read The Hobbit faster than I could watch all three of the films. Mm-hmm. And t- to be fair, I think part of the thinking behind this was nobody's ever going to be stupid enough to pay us to make a film of the Silmarillion, so we're going to make as much of that as we can under the guise of an extended Hobbit. <laughs> exactly. Well, now they've done the... However, the... the Silmarillion is, in fact, very boring. So oh, I have tried... It's like reading the Bible, only it's definitely not true. Well, it's like reading the Bible. <laughs> uh, and at number one, Transformers Age of Extinction. Oh, it was all going so well. It wasn't going that well. But I, I'm slightly surprised. I, we're we're getting out of the everything is superheroes all the time. I, I think, I mean, yes, superhero films are still making money, but they're not swamping the box office. And we're even seeing some some here that aren't sequels, but not very many. I, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I'm slightly surprised because I thought, oh, we really are in a terrible phase cinematically right now. But that, having done this for every year since the 70s, 
I don't think we're doing as badly as I thought we were nowadays. I'd, certainly the late 80s, early 90s were just... I was getting angry when you were reading out the box office. Well, <laughs> I also, I think that this is the sort of time when we're starting to see uh, independent financing um, managing to get films even into cinemas, but even yeah, direct-to-DVD is, is losing... Uh, is it Blu-ray by this point? I lose track of my, uh, yeah, my obsolete physical media. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah d- d- direct Blu-ray's release... starting to give way to um, streaming by this time. Yeah, already, but yeah, that, that, that has lost its... Um, Stigma. Yes. And while, while we're not necessarily going to see a streamed film top of the box office or getting the Academy Awards, they, they are at least being talked about. They're, they're out there in the culture. If you, if you are a filmmaker with an idea, at least if you're a white man with a lot of friends in the business, <laughs> yes. you have a better chance of getting something made that's vaguely like your idea rather than like your idea gone through 17 focus groups. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's, are more hopeful. I mean, they're all slickly professionally made, all those top ten, but they're all more interesting than a lot of the ones that were coming out 20 years before. Well, except maybe Transformers, but I haven't seen this, I can't say. Uh, we're not going to, though, are we? <laughs> <laughs> no, Transformers is... Uh, well, that, to me, feels like one of those terrible 80s action... I, we are... Sorry, that sounds terrible, uh, because we are big fans of 80s action films, but... Uh, uh, not, not so much fans of 80s toy commercials. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, well, there we are. I'm less depressed than I thought I'd be with that. Um, so it only remains for me to say, I'm afraid, Roger, we have got to go back to the beginning of this podcast and do it again until we get it right. Welcome to episode 84 of Ribbon of Memes. <laughs> Thank you.